0: morning to share the word with you guys. Uh, How exciting is that to know that from here the Lord is raising people to go into the nations. Uh, Our desire as the eldership at Trinity is that uh, the clubs, the Shropshires, and, and others that are getting prepared would not be the only ones going. Our prayer is that from among these pews, among these chairs, many would go and answer the call to the nations. And so that is our heart, that is our desire, and that is something that we want to work towards. With that said, uh, let's jump into this morning's message. If you are new to Trinity, you may not know this, but our mission as a church is to treasure Christ, to grow in Christ, and to, to proclaim Christ. As part of our effort to faithfully proclaim Christ, once a year, we reserve a number of weeks to emphasize missions, which is what we're doing today. When we hear the word. Uh, missions, though, we immediately think of world missions, don't we? We think about foreign nations, cool food, different, you know, uh, outfits. But the reality is um, that as the church of Jesus Christ, we want to reflect God's heart for the nations, not only out there, but here as well. Um, Now, the problem is that when we think that missions of uh, the churches reduced to, not, I mean, only to foreign missions. We think that we get to outsource the Great Commission to those who are really called, right? Um, and while those, uh, there are those that the Lord does call specifically to go into foreign missions. The truth is that as believers, we are all on mission. As believers, the love of Christ compels us to obey the Great great Commission, to go and to make disciples of all nations. For some of us, like the Cleves, like the Shropshires, the nations they are called to are on the other side of the world. But even if that is not the case for you, you are still called to the nations. Even if that nation is this one you're in today. My desire this morning then, is not to give us an out from responding the call to the nations. I don't want you at all to assume that God isn't calling you to go to a foreign land and to preach the gospel. I want you to be open for that. But I also want you to think that missions is um, your responsibility. I want you to remember that the call to missions is your responsibility as a believer. As a pastor... I have heard many people who have a burning passion to go to the nations, but they are passive, if not unwilling, to do gospel work where the Lord has called them. Dwight Moody famously said, There are many of us that are willing to do great things for the Lord, but a few, but only few of us are willing to do the little things. This morning, I want to talk about those little things. The passage we're going, to look about, we're going to look at this morning addresses the little things we get to do for the Lord. And by little, though, I don't mean insignificant. By little, I mean little, little in appearance, because it's the things that we do at home when no one really sees us other than those that are closest to us. In the Great Commission, though, Christ calls us to make disciples this morning. I want, us to, I want us to see. I want to point out how our first calling is to make disciples and to do so at home. Moses will remind us in the text this morning of the importance of living life in the Word of God, which will ultimately keep our hearts grounded in the love of God, while at the same time training our children in the faith. With that said, I want to make sure that you know that this passage is not only for parents with children at home, Even if in his sovereignty, the Lord has not yet allowed you to be in a place where you have children. I believe this passage will encourage you as you ground your faith in the love of God and make disciples outside the home. I will be speaking to parents. But if you are not a parent, or if your children maybe have already left the nest, I want you to be encouraged by this passage, because in it we will find a command for all of us. With that said, would you open your Bibles with me to Deuteronomy 6? I'm going to give you a second to find it, and I'm going to give you another second to stand up as we read the Word of God this morning. I'm also going to give myself a second because I didn't have my marker where (laughs) it's supposed to be. Okay, with that said, why don't we read the Word of the Lord? We will read verses 4 through 9. This is the word of the Lord. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord with uh, your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down. And when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And this is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would speak to us this morning through your word. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you chose to reveal yourself through Scripture and that you speak to us this morning. Lord, I pray that as I, as I speak this morning, if there is anything that I say that does not align to the truth of the gospel, Lord, I pray that you would give everyone here the ability to discern. And I pray for that to fall to the ground and be forgotten. But Father, we submit to your word this morning. We pray, speak to us, O Lord, in the name of Jesus. So church, this morning we see a command. The first thing that I want you to see in verses 4 and 5 is that we have a command to love you see here. Um, I'm going to give you a little bit of context for this passage because, uh, as you may have noticed, we are pausing our series in First and Second Samuel. If you're here, if you're new, you're here for the first time. We are currently going through a series of the books First and Second Samuel, but for our mission series, we decided to take a little break. And so today's passage is from Deuteronomy. And in the first five chapters of Deuteronomy, we see Moses speaking to the people of Israel. If you're not familiar with the book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy is basically a a collection of sermons from Moses to the people of Israel. Now when I say he's speaking to the people of Israel, I mean he's speaking to a second generation Israel. After 40 years um, of having been delivered from Egypt and forty years of wandering uh, in the desert because of their own foolishness, the first generation has not, has now died off, and Moses is speaking to the new generation of Israelites. And so, in chapter five, Moses reminded the, the Israelites of the Ten Commandments of the law of God. You see, they have they already know these; they probably have already memorized them. But what Moses is doing here, he is helping them to remember. Remembering is actually a big part of this passage. As a matter of fact, it's a big part of the Christian life, of the Christian faith. In the book of Deuteronomy, you will see a call to remember over and over again. Now in chapter 6, Moses is expounding on the law. He is unpacking it, if you will. This passage that we just read is known as the Shema. Shema. You may have heard this term before, but the word Shema means to hear, or more precisely, it means to listen and to obey. You see, as Christians, our call is not just to hear the word of God. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us that whenever we are hearers of the word and not doers, we are deceiving ourselves. So here the call is to listen and to obey. So after, after uh, Moses shares this with the people, the Jews would pray for decades and for centuries and uh, for thousands of years, really, they would continually pray the Shema. This would become a prayer to the Jews. But what would later become a prayer started as a command. You see, this command that we just read starts with the declaration, The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Mm-hmm. By, by this... Moses doesn't mean that God is one instead of many. When he says that the Lord is one, he's speaking of God's incomparability. He is incom- incomparable. He, uh, it's, it, it talks about his exclusivity. God, the God of the Bible, is unique. And he alone is God. Some of you might know, but we have a class going on right now. Our class, I believe. And in that class, we're going through the Apostles' Creed. And the first sentence in that creed says this: it says, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. So, in our class last week, we talked about this. We talked about the sentence. And we discussed that when we as Christians talk about God, we are not talking about just any God. Whenever Christians speak of God, we are not talking about a force, we're not talking about just a higher power. When we Christians speak of God, we are talking about the triune God that has disclosed himself through the Bible, through Holy Scripture. You see, the God of the Bible is our creator God. He is almighty. He is sovereign over all creation. So much so. That Abraham Kuyper, a Dutch theologian, used to say this. He used to say, There is not a square inch in the whole of creation over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, Mine. This, church, is the God that we serve. Not a God. We serve the God. The creator of the universe. The one who is sovereign. The one that is almighty. The one who controls it all. Our creator God. And that is the God that we're speaking of. This is the God that we Christians believe in. And this is the God Moses speaks of when he says, The Lord our God. The Lord is one. You see... Moses is making an emphasis on how different God, the God of the Jews, the God of the Old Testament and the New Testament, the God of the Bible, how different he is to the gods of the nations that surrounded them. Now, following this declaration of the uniqueness of God, we see a command. In verse uh, verse 5, Moses says this. He says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Now you may be thinking, how can God command me to love him? It's not like I can just decide to love him, can I? After all, if the day I met Megan, my wife, I had commanded her to love me, I don't think it would have gone very well with it. <laughs> if you know my wife, you would not, like, she would have just refused to. Um. That's just not how love works. Right? In, in human terms, we did not command each other to love each other. Right? Now, how then can God command me to love Him? One of the commentaries I read on the passage puts it this way. It says, when we regard the command to love God with our whole being as actually a command for, uh, for us to be fully human, to be what we are made to be, it is like a command. Um, it is it's like a command to someone who loves the beach to take a few days off to rest by the beach in order to recover from exhaustion. Or it is like a command to, like a command to a hungry person to eat a delicious meal. Once we have experienced God's love and know what a wonderful thing it is, a command to total love would not be viewed as a burdensome obligation. It would be viewed as an invitation to self actualization, to freedom, to joy and finding ourselves. You see, church, when God commands us to love Him, His command is not driven by selfish ambition, which, you know, we just heard about. God's command to love us is not fueled by His insecurity. He does not need us. We do not make Him God. We do not make Him any better. We can add nothing to God. So when God commands us to love Him, his command is driven by love for us. So much so that if He didn't ask us to love Him, God would be acting unlovingly. Have you ever thought about that? God's command to love Him is not a command to muster feelings. What Moses is telling us here, he's not saying, all right, just go to your room right now, think about it really hard, and muster from within yourself a desire to love. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, God is not asking for your feelings alone. Of course, your feelings have to be involved. But he's asking for a lot more than just your feelings. You see, God is not after your feelings alone. This is not a call to fall in love with God. In the way that our culture talks about love. He actually wants us for himself, body and soul. The type of love that is only feelings is actually an incomplete love. I think our culture is a witness of this, isn't it? That when your love or your commitment is only driven by feelings, you can easily, just as you fall in love, you can fall out of love and give up in the whole relationship. See, as a people, we are bent inwardly. We are a selfish, self-loving people. And this command to put God before our own selves is actually counterintuitive to our nature and to our flesh. You see, it's not easy. But it is there, um, it is only there where you and I will finally find freedom. Jesus would later talk about this command. He would say that this is the greatest commandment of all. That loving God with all our hearts, soul, and mind is the greatest thing that you and I can do. Now, Jesus would actually add to this command by saying in Mark twelve thirty one, He would say this: "The second is this: You shall love your neighbor as yourself." There is no other commandment greater than these. You see, loving God with all your heart, mind, and soul doesn't only have great benefits for us as His children. But a byproduct of this love is a love for our neighbor. When we are filled with the love of God, as Piper says, the love of God in us spills into service for others, into love and care for our neighbor. And church, this is where our mission comes in. Would you read with me verses 6 and 7 again? It says this. Here we will see the command to share the word of God at home. Verses 6 and 7 say this, it says, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them uh, diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. Church, the first thing Moses is telling us is to eat this word, to consume this word. Now that we have been commanded to love the Lord, if you are like me, you must be wondering, but how do I do that? If I can't just muster feelings of love, what is this command then? How do I love God? Well, in the next few, uh, few verses, we will see five times the verb shall, which this which means it's Moses is instructing us. He is commanding us to do something. These are instructions on how we can remember to love God and to remember his covenant. You see, Moses commands us to keep this command in our heart. Here a Trinity, as I mentioned before, part of our mission is to treasure Christ. Mm -hmm. Which is why we seek to be faithful to the word of the Lord in our preaching. Mm -hmm. That this word would take root in our heart. And that this very word that is a life and life given would transform us. Mm -hmm. Now, you you will notice that these commands are not inwardly looking. They are commands that instruct us on how we relate to the Word of God and how that makes us relate to others. And this is where I want you to hear your call to missions at home. In verse 7 again, Moses says this, he says, You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you go by the way and when you lie down And when you you rise. You see, the word of God is not a gift for us to hoard. It's not a gift for us to keep to ourselves. The word of God is the gift that bears fruit when we share it with others. The more we share it, the more fruit it bears. And here, Moses is speaking directly to parents. Church, the way that we do missions at home... It's by raising our children in a home that is saturated with the Word of God. Now here's the thing. You don't have to have children at home for this to be true of your home. We need to live in homes that are saturated with the Word of God. To borrow the words of David in Psalm 119, we need to store up God's Word in our hearts. We need to eat this book in the words of Eugene Peterson. In order to love God with all our hearts, our soul and our mind and our might, our hearts need to be saturated with the Word of God. You see, like I said again earlier, the Word of God is a life. It's alive and it gives us life. it is life-giving. Our intake of God's word is what fuels our worship, our righteous living and our faithfulness. As we spend time watering our soul with the Word of God, it is then when we will bear fruit. Now, if we're honest, I think we all wish we spent more time in the Word. Let me actually ask, let me just ask you. If you wish you were spending more time in the Word of God, would you raise your hand? I mean, look around. It's all of us. We all wish we were spending more time in the Word. So this uh, that I'm saying this morning is not meant to be discouraging to you. I'm not saying these things for you to feel bad about your Bible reading habits or to lay a burden on your shoulders, but I am saying these things to remind you of how wonderful the Word of God is. Now I want you to hear this. If the Spirit is convicting you of passivity, if the Spirit is convicting you of neglecting His Word, I'm not going to apologize for that. But what I'm not trying to do is to give you a to-do list. I'm not trying to lay a burden on your shoulders. But I want you to remember the importance of the Word of God in the life of the believer. To remind you of the words of David in Psalm 19 that says that the Lord of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. It makes us wise, it says. It brings joy to our hearts. It enlightens our eyes. It is sweeter than honey. Brother, sister, the Word of God is a feast for us. And yet, we so often choose to starve ourselves or to fill ourselves with spiritual junk food. Brother, sister, do not neglect the reading of the Word of God. Brother, sister, run to the Word of God. Read it. Savor it. Study it. For it is in the word of God that your faith will be rooted and your heart revived in the love of God. Eugene Peterson says in his book, It this Word, he says this. He says, Christians don't simply learn or study or use scripture. We assimilate it. Take it into our lives in such a way that it gets metabolized into acts of love, cups of cold water, missions into all the world, healing and evangelism and justice in Jesus' name. Hands raised in adoration of the Father, feet washed in company with the Son. Do you see this? As we eat the Word of God, it metabolizes into service for others. This leads me to my 2nd subpoint: Feed the Word to your children. The first one is, eat the word, now feed the word to those around you, to your children, to your neighbor, to whatever, you know, to your students if you're a teacher, to the kids that are around you, to the young man, young woman that actually listens to you. Feed the word. Moses tells us in no uncertain terms that as parents, we have to teach the word of God to our children and to do it diligently. Can I be honest with you? Teaching the word uh, to our children is actually easy. Being diligent is where I struggle. You see, I am so blessed to go to a church where I know my children hear the word of God Sunday after Sunday. They go to a school where they actually get to memorize scripture, where they sing songs about the Bible. If I'm honest, my kids get a lot of Bible in their daily lives. And for that, I'm thankful. And yet, this is where it gets dangerous. Because you see, I can fool myself into thinking that that is enough. And at times, I have. The thing is, that it is not our children's ministry volunteers' responsibility to raise my kids in the Word of God. It is not the teacher that faithfully serves my kids in school... It is not their responsibility to raise them in the word of God. As their father, it is my responsibility given to me by God as a commandment to raise my children surrounded by the word. Here at Trinity, we want to make sure that you know that teaching your children uh, the word, it's not our responsibility. As elders, I, want, you know, I, want, I think I speak on behalf of all of our elders, and I want you to hear this. It is not our responsibility to teach the Word to your children. That is your responsibility. We are happy, and we strive for uh, you know, faithfully proclaiming the Word here. We are happy to walk along you and equip you as you raise children in the Word. But ultimately, the responsibility is on you. It is not us who will one day stand before the Father and give an account. For you to leave the spiritual formation of your children to us or to our children's ministry would be like leaving your kids' physical nourishment to the school cafeteria alone. I don't know if you've ever been to one of those. They'll be getting food in their belly for sure. But do you think you could trust them with the entirety of their diet? Absolutely not. It's not their responsibility either. I want you to look at how Moses tells us to instruct our children in the Word. He says to do it when we sit at home, when we walk by the way, and when we lie down, and when we rise. You see, Moses isn't just calling us for a quiet time. He's not calling us to only have a little devotional at the end of the day. These are great things that I encourage you to do. But what Moses is telling us here is that the Word of God should be the framework of our lives. Matt Chandler uses these three words to describe his family, disciples, of framework. He uses the word time, moments, and milestones. And I think it goes well with what Moses is saying right here. You see, time is when we sit at home. When we instruct our children, when we sit at home, meaning we find intentional times to talk about the Word of God... They, these should be times for which we plan ahead. I know it's not easy with soccer and dance and community group and all the other things that come up. It's not easy. But we honor the Lord when we reserve the time and when we make time to instruct our kids in the Word of God. Can I be honest with you again? I find it a lot easier to preach a sermon on a Sunday morning than to lead my little family in a time of devotion. You see, I I do it regularly. Not perfectly, but regularly. But it is hard. At times, it feels like I'm not accomplishing anything. There's been times when my wife has actually called me out because I get mad (laughs) when I'm trying to teach my kids the Bible. You see, at times it feels like I'm not doing anything, like I'm not achieving anything. But the reality is that it is not me, but the Holy Spirit who will actually accomplish something in their hearts. Parents, let's get real. Teaching our kids is messy. At times, I have in my mind an idea of how things should go. I have my three little point and you know, a poem at the end in my head. But because I'm not planning for messy, I end up getting so frustrated. I end up being short with them. If we're not careful, church, we're going to end up hurting them. And I'm, I'm preaching to myself right here. To church, let's try to be flexible. Flexible. Let's plan for flexibility and let's trust that the Lord is the one that is reviving their hearts as they hear the word. Our children actually need these times. More than a perfect little sermon, our children need consistency. Church, the good news is that you don't have to do this alone. Obviously, your main resource here is the Bible itself. But by God's grace, we can also take advantage of all the resources that we have to help us as we disciple our little ones. There are catechisms. There are devotionals. There are study Bibles. There are study guides. There are many ways and many tools that we can use to, to, to teach our children. I've tried a million of them, and I have stopped halfway through a million of them. They don't always work out. But the thing is, we just got to be consistent and keep trying. So the first thing is times, right? We make time when we sit at home. The second thing will be moments. These random moments, or as as Moses puts it here, when we walk by the way. As we go about our lives, there are moments that we can take to point um, to our children how the Word of God relates to our daily lives. You know, this, this happens when we find the opportunity to connect the world around them to the Word of God. Ha- this happens, for example, when you're driving them to school in the morning. You can remind them how, just as the sun rises every day, in the same way God is always there when you can't see Him. Or, when you're out on a walk and see a cool bird, it's an opportunity to tell them about God's goodness as a Creator. That he gave us a beautiful diversity of animals and birds because he loves us. This happens when you go out at night and see the stars and you can remind them that the heavens declare the glory of God. You can do this when you see evidences of brokenness of the world around them. Have you ever seen an ambulance driving by when you have your children in the car? You can ask your children, how can we be praying for them? I, I, I did that once, and now every time my kids see an ambulance, even when I don't notice, I see, I catch Tiago, my son, just praying for the ambulance, you know, for those that, that were hurt or whatever. This happens whenever you are at Walmart and you see a cashier yell, you know, being yelled at, and if you go to Walmart, you see this all the time. <laughs> whenever your children witness these, these evidences of the brokenness around us, it gives us the opportunity to point them back to the Lord. We can pray for the cashier. We can point them to Proverbs and to remember you know, how there is a path of life and a, t- and a path of death. Now this all sounds really easy and nice and it's making me sound really good. But I fail at this all the time. You know what? That's okay. Because when you fail and when you sin, you can model repentance by confessing your sin to them and asking for their forgiveness. If you confess your sin, you can model to your children how you believe that you have a faithful and a kind high priest that sympathizes with you and who is faithful and just to forgive you. Church, there are a million ways to train our children in the Lord as we go on the way. And every day is a new opportunity. Let's look for them. I'm not going to have the time to mention the third point that Chandler uses. The third thing would be milestones. And this is when he talks about, you know, taking, for example, when his son turned 13 years old. You know, you take a moment. You know, that's a milestone in their life. You know, when someone graduates, that's a milestone. Weddings, those are milestones. Use and take advantage of those moments to point your children to Jesus. But let's keep going with with the verse Moses says, when we lie down and when we rise. You see, we don't teach our children how much we trust the Bible when we sit for family devotions. But our every action teaches them if we truly believe what we say. What Moses is calling is uh, is not only a moment of of devotion, but to an entire life of devotion. A life that is devoted to the Lord. When Moses tells us to bind the Word as a sign in our hand or between our eyes, it speaks of our thoughts and of our actions. Put the Word of God between your eyes, thoughts, around your hand, your actions. Let your actions match your thoughts and your words. This reminds us again that the Word of God should be the framework of our lives. Number four, we teach our children the Word by surrounding them with reminders of the Word. Something else we see in this passage is that we need to surround our children with reminders of the Word of God. There's actually debate as to whether the command to write the Word on the doorpost of the house and the gates of the city was to be taken literally. But in a world that bombards our children visually with ads, with temptations, mm-hmm. we would do well to fill our homes with the Word of God. Yeah. By this, I'm not, I'm not saying that a trip to Hobby Lobby will save your children <laughs> but visual reminders of the word can be helpful to remind us of the promises of God. Hopefully I didn't offend anyone with Hobby Lobby comment. Um, you know, we all have the gather sign. i just just kidding. Um, number five. I can't stand that one. I, I probably apologize if you have it. I'm going to keep going with the message because I'm about to really get in trouble here. Uh, all right, number five. We teach them the word by, remind, by being reminders of the word ourselves. So we surround our children with the reminders of the Word, but we ourselves are to be reminders of the Word. I'm already thinking about how much in trouble I'm going to get with some of you, and I'm already nervous. (laughs) Anyways, the most important thing is the fact that we should be reminders of the Word of God in the life of our children and of those around us. Have you ever met a person? that knows the Word so well that it causes you to run to the Word? Have you ever met a man or a woman that obviously marinates in the Word in such a way that causes you to want to get in the Word? I know I have. I've have met many people like this that have spent so much time in the Word that the Word becomes part of who they are. We should be so filled with the, war, with the Word that we ourselves become reminders of the Word to those around us, starting with our children and our families. So let's meet to my next point. We teach them the Word to protect them from comfort. What does that even mean? Would you read with me verses 10 to 12? It says, And the Word of the Lord uh, your God brings you Sorry, and when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great uh, great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care, lest you forget the Lord, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Church, one of the reasons Moses instructs us to to train our children in the Word is to protect them from comfort and prosperity. If we're honest, that sounds weird to our American hearts, doesn't it? We love comfort and prosperity. I mean, we're the nation that created this nuggy, right? I mean, like, we love comfort and prosperity. The problem is then when we live in comfort and prosperity, we oftentimes start forgetting God. Megan, When our family came back to the U.S. after living in Malaysia for a few years, um, my wife and I, we've talked about this often, of how easy it is to forget that we're on mission when you're surrounded by comfort. You know, whenever you live your life for the dream house, for the nice car, for the pool, and for all the other comforts that we like and that we see around us, it is so dangerous because we start forgetting the Lord. Here's the thing. Moses is telling the people of Israel, you're going to go to a city where there's going to be buildings you didn't build. Your house is going to be full with things that you didn't fill. There's going to be cisterns that you didn't dig. And guess what? When we raise children in the faith... They're, our children are borrowing our faith initially. You see, my, my children are not believers because they have an amazing encounter with the Lord. My children have the most boring testimony. And praise the Lord for that. Yeah, good. But you see, in that comfort and peace and prosperity, they will be tempted to forget why they need God. Because they will assume that they have it all figured out. I grew up in a Christian home, and I'm so thankful for parents that raised me in the Word. But I know how dangerous it is to grow up in a Christian home, because you will be tempted to think that you got it figured out, and you will despise the Lord if you're not careful. So we teach our kids the word to protect them from comfort, to protect them from prosperity, to protect them from a life that doesn't challenge them. Church, we are forgetful people, and when and we can easily forget that the uh, we can actually forget the the Lord during times of peace, comfort, and abundance. And when I say forget, I don't mean intellectually. I know many people who, after all, grew up in the church. They memorize scripture. They are fluent in Christianese, but who have walked away from their faith. Not because they don't know the truth of the gospel in their heads, but because they have given their hearts to other things. Moses is warning us against the dangers of the idols of comfort and prosperity. When we think things are going well, we might be tempted to forget that we need God. Have you ever noticed that as um, suicide has skyrocketed in our world, in the time of social media, and the times we live in, have you ever noticed that those numbers that are skyrocketing, it is not in third world countries. It is usually in places of abundance and prosperity. Because we are so quickly tempted to forget the Lord when there is prosperity. Church, The hearts of our children need to be often smacked around by the truth of Scripture. By this I mean this. Tim Keller once compared believers to a broken Coke vending machine in his apartment building. He says that every time he wanted to go get a Coke, you would have to put the money and then he had to smack the side repeatedly so that the coins would drop from the coin slot to the heart of the machine. And it would finally work. And he says that as believers, we are the same way. We often need to be pounded on the side of the head with the truth of the gospel so that they fall from our heads to our hearts. Church, this is true of our children too. Our children need to be smacked around by the word of God. Please don't do this literally. I'm begging you. But the truth of the gospel needs to fall from our heads to our hearts. And that is when we pound our heads with the word. This leads me to my next point, and I don't want to promise the last point because, you know, I don't want to lie either. But <laughs> uh, point seven uh, is this that we teach them the word to anticipate the questions and their doubts. You see, Deuteronomy 6.20 says this, When your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules of the Lord our God has commanded you? You see, Moses in verse 20 is assuming that their children will have questions. So good. And can I say something? Praise God for questions. Yes. We want to make sure that as Christian parents we actually foster curiosity towards the things of God. I'm honestly often shocked by the depth of the questions my children ask at times. You know, this time around in our, in our equip class, we have children, and I'm so thankful. We have children that are attending our equip class. Uh, and, and can I tell you something? My favorite questions come from children. And I am often shocked by the depth of those questions. There are times during our, our little devotional time as a family that my kids interrupt our devotional times with questions. Now sometimes the question is, are we almost done? (laughs) Or can I go to the bathroom? Or how much longer, right? But other times, they ask some very profound questions. Now I've noticed that the later it is, the deeper the questions get. Isn't that true? But as parents, church, we have to be ready to answer these questions. Now by that, I don't, I don't mean that we have to have all the answers. By that, I don't mean that we all have to be pastors, that we all have to have an MDiv. No, by that, that's not what I mean. But we have to model to our children that even when we do have questions and don't know the answers, that we believe that the Word of God is sufficient and authoritative. And together, we can look into the Word and find the answers to our questions. Church, we should foster the curiosity of our children. There are some questions that come from curiosity, and we should welcome and encourage that. But we also have to warn our children about the fickleness of their hearts when they ask questions that come from unbelief, rebellion, or discontent. We should help them distinguish between these, and we should point them to the word always. You see, the problem is that we live in a world that will consistently question their faith, that will consistently make them wonder about the goodness of God. And so as parents, we do well to teach them the Word. In the words of John Piper, we want to give them a nose to discern what is good and true. Church, we ought to teach our children to filter the questions through the Word of God. This is so important. So much so that the apostles Peter, John, and Jude warned us. They warned the church in their time against um they sorry, they warned the church in their at their time against false teachers, against scoffers, and against those that follow the passions of the flesh. Jude in verses seventeen to twenty one, he says this he says, But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you in the last time there will be scoffers, following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus that leads to eternal life. Church, let us help our kids. Uh, uh, to, to be kept in the, lo- in the love of God. Let us instruct them to build themselves up in faith through the study of the Word and prayer that they would keep themselves in the love of God. And this leads to my actual last point. <laughs> we teach them the Word of God because it is good for them. Deuteronomy 6.24 says this, And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good Always, that we might preserve us alive, that He might preserve us alive as we are this day. Church, we do missions at home by instructing our children in the Word because it is for their good. One of the greatest things that we can teach our children as parents is to understand that God's commands do not come from a desire to control us or to rob us from our joy or to strip us from the good life. The good life is only found in the, the, in the obedience of God's commands, not in breaking them. Church, we get to teach our children that God's glory and our joy are not mutually exclusive. And I'm going to quote John Piper yet again today. <laughs> he famously said the, word, the sentence, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. Right. Let me say it again. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. Church, our souls are parched. They are starved until they feast in the love of God. We will never find true true satisfaction in the things of this world. Apart from His Word, we will only find cheap counterfeits. And like a kid who keeps swallowing his strawberry-flavored gum because it tastes so good... We will be left malnourished when seeking satisfaction in the world. And we will always be left wanting. Church, we are called to missions. But our mission starts at home by making disciples in our living room. And pointing them to the Jesus of the Word. To Jesus, the living water. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up here. But as we come to a close this morning, I wanted to address two groups. First of all, I want to speak to you, parents, because in your flesh this morning, you might be, feel tempted to feel defeated and hopeless. Maybe you were reminded of all the ways in which you have failed your children, or you are reminded of the things that you have neglected. If this is you, and you are walking out of here with a to-do list, I have failed you. My goal this morning is not to put a burden on your back. Not to point you not to point out your shortcomings. As I prepared this message earlier this week, I too felt tempted to despair because of all the ways in which I've failed my children when it comes to raising them in the word. So let me remind you instead of the abundant grace that can be found in Christ. If you have been convicted by the Spirit for the things that you have neglected, once again I want to apologize for that. But the right thing for you to do this morning is to confess your sins and repent. But as you repent, be assured that you have a high priest that sympathizes with you, a brother who is interceding for you, and a father that delights in giving you grace. Now I also want to speak to those who might be here this morning who maybe don't yet know Jesus. Maybe you're here this morning and you heard me and you realize that you don't actually love God. And that maybe you have given yourself to counterfeit gods that have promised you satisfaction, but have never actually delivered. If this is you, could I invite you this morning to turn from the things of the world and run to Jesus, the only one that can satisfy your soul? Church, would you join us as we respond to the Lord in worship?